Hello, I'm Shane Hartsfield, pastor of Beaver Baptist Church. Thank you for listening to our weekly podcast. If you have any questions about what it means to follow Christ or questions about our church, direct you to our website, beaverbaptist.com, for our contact information. Weekly, we study exegetically through books of the Bible. And now, join us as we dive into today's passage. As Christians, when we read the Bible, we know we're seeing something beautiful as we read the stories in Scripture. But we don't always know how what we're seeing fits with the rest of the story. Our understanding of Scripture is sometimes like a fragmented piece that may move us deeply, but we don't know how to connect it together with the bigger picture of the storyline of the Bible. Without the bigger picture, we gain only a partial appreciation of what any individual snapshot is trying to tell us. So from Genesis to Revelation, we know that the Bible is about God. We said last week, if the story of the Bible, the story of God is a jigsaw puzzle, what we're trying to do over these next few weeks is to see the picture on the box of what it's supposed to look like when it's all put together. So what is the true story of God about? Hunter, if you had to summarize that in a a statement or two, how would you do that? How would you summarize the true story of the Bible? I said last week, a good summary is the movement in history from creation to new creation through the redemptive work of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who saves and changes corrupted, depraved people for His glory and for their good. I think that's pretty good. I like it. If you have something better, I want to hear it. I'd love for you to send that to me. And we've shortened up the the Bible in a summary to a few words, some have, to creation fall and redemption. And then last week, again, we said that you could sum it up into one word, being in the name of Jesus, right? Because all their God's promises find their yes in Jesus. So what we're trying to do is see the big picture. View from 30,000 feet, right? Last week, we started at the very beginning. We read how God, the eternally self-existent God, made everything from nothing. He spoke, and our world was created. But the world, Amy, that he created is not like our world today. It was perfect. It was a paradise. It was where man walked with God. And man was provided for and told to have dominion over all that he had created. God told man to eat from every tree that's in the garden. But the the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was to be avoided. And if they disobeyed, they would die. Well, man did disobey. He thought what he wanted for himself was better than what God wanted for him, and so he sinned. Even though man was created to worship, man failed to worship. He sinned, and the result was death. Innocence was lost. Adam and Eve were banished from the garden, and instead of being intimate with God and having access to the tree of life, now man is at enmity with God, and we know that he would eventually physically die. And that's not just true of Adam, but for all of Adam's descendants, right? Fear, shame, blame shifting, suffering the curse of God. That's not just Adam's experience, but that's the experience of all of us. We said last week, Romans 5, 12, Paul, 
It's just as sin came into the world through one man, that being Adam, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin, sin, all sin means you and I, right? Romans 5, 18, one trespass led to the condemnation for all men. With the fall, things went south in a hurry, didn't they? But there's hope. Last week we ended with Genesis 3.15, as God is cursing the serpent, he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So the offspring of the woman will prevail against the enemy, against the deceiver, against Satan. We said last week that the effects of sin make redemption necessary. And the reality of God's power, his creative power, makes redemption possible. And so we have to, Chris, we have to remember those two things. That's why we started off from the very beginning last week. We have to understand these two truths in order to understand redemptive history. God is powerful enough. Redemption is possible because of his power. But redemption is necessary because of our sin. So we're, we're turning to Genesis chapter 4, picking up there. We continue today to see the effects of sin and Morgan's already read that for us, the story of Cain and Abel. But one thing I want to point out is that sin affects us all. We've already talked about that, especially in our relationships, as we see here in Genesis 4. Eve gives birth to Cain, and I'm sure she's thinking, as she gives birth to him, and even from her comments, this will be the fulfillment of the 315 promise. And what's that 315 promise? That there's going to be a redeemer, right? The offspring of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. That's the hope. And I'm sure that's what she's thinking, but Cain turned out to be more of a seed of Satan rather than a redeemer, didn't he? Both Cain and Abel, they brought sacrifices to the Lord. Abel's sacrifice was received and Cain's was not. Why is that? Some point to the fact that, well, Abel, he brought a blood sacrifice and Cain did not. Well, I don't see that that here in this text, I'm not sure if that gives us a a good explanation. I've heard that said before. I don't necessarily buy it, but we, we do have some commentary from the New Testament. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. We know that Abel had faith. Writer of Hebrews tells us, without faith, it is impossible to do what? Please God, yeah. First John chapter 3, verse 10 and 12. By this, it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. God looks at the heart, doesn't he? He knew the heart of Cain. Why should he accept Cain's sacrifice? Cain was wicked in Proverbs 15, 8. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is acceptable to him. So Cain's offering wasn't even considered. It was rejected. Haley. God created Cain to worship God, but Cain failed to do so. God didn't accept his offering because his lack of faith, his lack of worship, his jealousy, his anger, his, the malice in his heart. Cain saw 
the results of the faith of Abel. He couldn't stand it. We see the offspring of Satan at enmity with the offspring of Eve, and Cain killed Abel. Instead of repenting from his jealousy and his malicious heart, he he strikes down his own brother. And I think about that story as how it relates to us as Adam's other descendants. We still live under the effects of the curse, don't we? We see the effects of sin, especially in regard to our relationships. How many children, even in our church, are growing up in single-parent homes? How many of us are miserable at our jobs? Not because of the work. You don't mind the work. It's just the dead gum people you work with. Our coworker gets the promotion that we thought we deserved. Are we rejoicing with them or are we malicious, angry, bitter, jealous? Little brother, little sister gets more attention these days. Are we happy for them or are we, we seeking to make their life miserable? During rush hour, we get cut off or, heaven forbid, we get behind Meemaw going 30. In a 55, take a time out for a second. I, I, I take my children to, to work, and I do think about that. Just wait till after 8, and then you get out and go as slow as you want, right? I drive down 59, it's like, wow. When you're running late, it's always, man, this 30 miles an hour. You're thinking, man, that's a, it's a long way from Burleson to Covington. Going 30 when you're running late, you know. But how do we respond to that? Do we handle it graciously, or do we go the way of Cain and get in the flesh? And that's what Cain did. We, Paul calls it getting in the flesh. How many of you have gotten in the flesh this week besides me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we, we say that, don't we? Yeah, I got in the flesh, right? But that's what Cain did. He got in the flesh, and he took his brother's life. We struggle with, we struggle with our relationship, don't we, whether it's parent, child, husband, wife, Co-worker, co-worker. But it, we spend a lot of our energy, as the, the, the author of the Song of, of Solomon says, taking care of the foxes in the vineyard. Just taking care of all that little nitpicky junk that affects our relationships. Yeah. We spend a lot of time dealing with fractured and strained and broken relationships. Yeah, we have to say, I'm sorry. Sometimes you don't know why, what you did. Right? Yeah, it takes a lot of, Effort, a lot of energy. At this point in redemptive history, things aren't going so well, are they? We had the fall and paradise lost and innocence lost. Man is cast out of the garden. And now you have Adam and Eve's firstborn son taking his little brother's life. Things got to get better. Let's turn. Genesis chapter 6, turn with me, flip over. Page 5. In the Pew Bible, let's read verse 5 through 7. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. 
Things didn't improve, did they? In fact, things got, they've worsened. Seven generations after Adam, things are in a tailspin. If we're looking, if we're, we're doing a flyby, things are in a tailspin here. So much so that God regretted that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. In Genesis chapter 6 through 11, what we're going to see is that God judges sinners. How does God treat sinners? If things are going so badly, how does God treat sinners? Well, he, we're going to see that he judges sinners. If you, you look at verse 5, it actually makes you think that you're watching a, the modern-day news today. We'll read that again. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. You could put that in your own words. How would you summarize that? Messed up. All they did was evil, sin, rebel all the time. So what did God do? God instructed Noah to build an ark to his specific dimensions, right? To his specifications. And Noah and his three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and their wives, they entered the ark with the animals the Lord brought to them. Let's look at chapter 7, verses 1 through 5. Then the Lord said to Noah, Then the Lord said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Take with you seven pairs of clean animals, the male and and a maid, and a pair of animals that are not clean, the male and its maid, and seven pairs of the birds of the heavens also, male and female, to keep their offspring alive on the face of the earth. For in seven days I will send rain on the earth, forty days and forty nights. And every living thing that I have made I will blot out from the face of the ground. And Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him to do. So what happened? Just what God said would happen. He regretted making man. He took Noah and his three, three boys, their wives, eight people in all, put them and the animals in the ark. And just what God said would happen, did happen. Just note to self, everything God says will happen, will happen. Look at chapter 7, verse 20 through 24. Verse 20, the waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits deep, and all the flesh died that moved on the earth, birds, livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures that swarm on the earth, and all mankind. Everything on the dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of life died. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens. They were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark, and the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. So what did God do? He judged sinful man. As Noah exited the ark, he offered a sacrifice to the Lord and he worshiped because that's what Noah should do, right? That's what man is created to do. That's what you and I are created to do. We're created to worship our creator. So Noah worships the Lord and God made a covenant with Noah. And he told him that he would never flood the earth again. He would never destroy the earth again by flood. Now this didn't promise or guarantee universal salvation, but it did guarantee universal preservation. In other words, disasters going to, may occur, natural disasters, and some caused by man, they may occur, but the world won't implode. The world is going to endure until God's purposes are accomplished. And the sign, of course, of this covenant was what? The rainbow. Yeah, the bow in the sky. So you have this judgment of God. We, we sometimes in our, with our middle school and high school students, we say it was a reboot, a restart. 
started all over again with these eight people. Well, things are going to get better, aren't they? Surely they will. I mean, you're starting with the righteous man and his, his boys and, and their wives. Look at chapter 9, verse 1, as we're flipping along. We're doing a flyby here. Chapter 9, verse 1. And God blessed Noah and his sons, and what did he, what did he tell them? Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Fill the earth, scatter, multiply. And notice what they did. Look at chapter 11, verse 1 through 9. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. It wasn't English, by the way. And as people migrated to the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had bricks for stone and bitumen bitumen for, for mortar. And they said, Come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower with its tops in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people and they have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel because there were, the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of the earth. The key there is verse 4. Notice what the people say. They say, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower with its tops to the heavens. Why? Because they wanted to make a name for themselves. And, and notice what else it says. Lest we be dispersed over the face of the earth. So what do they do wrong? The descendants of Noah. First of all, they didn't want to be dispersed. So what did they do? They congregated into cities. It's amazing. I was thinking about cities, Adam, how wicked cities were. Everybody moved to the city so they could be wicked together. It's interesting, as you look at the cities, there, there's not a, a righteous city mentioned in the Bible until you get to the New Jerusalem at the end of time when the consummation of all things occur. But yeah, they, they weren't dispersed. They wanted to meet together and live together. They had a unity, right? This unified spirit of rebellion against the Lord. Because what did they want to do? They wanted to make a name for God themselves, right? It's all about me. It's all about us. God created man to do what? To worship him. But they congregate and they want to make a name for themselves. They didn't want to exalt God. They wanted to themselves to have a good reputation. Instead of God receiving the applause of man, man wants to receive the applause of man. It appears that God's judgment in the flood had not made mankind fear God. In fact, God was just as angry with Noah's descendants as he had been with men before the flood. Man's just as wicked now as they were before. So things aren't getting better. Just kind of pause there, just as we did with Cain and Abel when we talk about Pain and the sin he struggled with, and when we think about ourselves, this is difficult, isn't it? 
those in Babel, they wanted to make a name for themselves. We struggle with that. I mean, everybody needs an attaboy every now and again, right? Yeah. We need that. We need encouragement. We need admonishment. We need encouragement. We need to be built up. But there is this struggle, isn't it? Because we want our name to be exalted. We want Shane to be thought of highly. No, I think maybe we struggle with that attitude sometimes ourselves. And so what does God do? Just as he judged those in Noah's day, he shatters this selfish ambition and this vain conceit, doesn't he? He comes down and he gives them different languages so they were confused. They had to scatter to do what God wanted mankind to do in the first place, and that's to fill the earth. Together they had this unified defiance of God, a unified plot, right, to make themselves happy. And so God comes and he judges them. The result of God's judgment, different languages, different nations, different people groups. The Bible has a lot of answers, doesn't it, about life. It really does. Where do all these languages come from? Why do we speak different languages? Why do we have different cultures? Why do, yeah, you see it here in the scriptures, in Babel. Just like in the Noah account, God judges sinners. So we have killing of a brother, the wickedness so pervasive that God says every intention of the thoughts of the heart was only evil continually. In other words, all they wanted to do was evil, right? And then you have this rebellion against God by not scattering but huddling together to make a name for themselves. It's pretty bleak, pretty dark, pretty, well, not pretty at all. It's bad. Things are going bad, badly. The glimmer of hope of Genesis 3.15, the offspring of the woman crushing the head of Satan, it seems to be, have been forgotten. It seems like the deceiver's winning. It seems that the redemption of sinful man is maybe just only a dream. And then we get to chapter 12. Turn to chapter 12 of Genesis. What happens in chapter 12? You remember the promise of Genesis 3.15, right? That the offspring of Eve, of the woman, would crush the head of the serpent, right? Is it compromised? Has it been compromised? I would say absolutely not. The seed of the woman continuing through the lineage of Abraham, what does it do? It rejuvenates hope. Look at chapter 12, verse 1 through 3. So we have Abraham comes on the scene. Now, the Lord said to Abram, and who's Abram? who he would later change his name to Abraham. He was a, a man who was come from a long line of idolatry, right? But notice what it says. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a, a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Notice the four promises God gives to Abraham. He promised him land, go to this land, I will show you, right? 
He says he, he's going to become a great nation. I will make of you a great nation. He's going to have a great family, right? A great nation. And then these blessings, those who bless you, I'll bless. Those who curse you, I'll curse. And then the, the, the last, and through you, Abraham, all the nations of the world. Nations, where do the nations come from? Oh, Babel, right? Chapter 11. All the nations, all the people groups of the world, they will be blessed through you. Why did God choose Abraham? For the same reason he deals well with anyone, right? Grace, right? Abraham was an idolater. His father was an idolater. But this covenant that God makes with Abraham is a pretty, pretty big deal. This is a high point in the true story of redemption. So much so that from this point on in the story of redemption, the creator, God, is, is oftentimes going to be called the God of Abraham. This is a pretty big deal. And we needed it. We needed this hope because things are looking badly. Things aren't going well. Sin is having its effect not just on relationships but on all mankind in every, in every way. But the problem with Abraham is, is he's been given this blessing is that he and his wife, he's 90 and his wife is 80. They're going to become a great family, a great nation. God's going to bless them. The only problem is they're, they don't have any children. And they live in an agrarian society where the, amount, the, the more children you have equals greater wealth. And they're childless. But God gives them this promise. Ten years later, Abraham's 100 and Sarah's 90, they... They have a child named Isaac. Is Isaac going to be this Genesis 3.15 redeemer? Well, turn with me to chapter 22. Abraham gets a lot of attention in the book of Genesis, and rightly so. It's, it's quite important. Look at chapter 22. We're flying here. We've got to rock and roll. In Genesis 22, God asked Abraham to do something absurd. Ask him to sacrifice his only son. Wait a minute, God. This promise, I'm actually going to have a family. A great nation is going to become of my descendants, and you want me to take my only son. I only have one, by the way, and you want me to sacrifice him. And so Abraham obeys, and they climb Mount Moriah. And, it, and, and Isaac's kind of fused. Uh, Dad, we have everything. We just don't have a sacrifice. And what did Abraham say to Isaac? God will provide. Man, Abraham was, in so many ways, he, 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 he fell short. But, man, there's this faith, too. He trusted the Lord. He said, God will provide. Let's look at chapter 22, verse 10 through 14. Then Abraham reached out his hand. He's going to sacrifice his son, right? And took the knife to slaughter his son. Kind of harsh, isn't it? That's what I say, to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. The angel says, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you, that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Abraham was willing to do whatever the Lord wanted him to do. Wow. And Abraham lifted up his eyes, and guess what? Behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord provide, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, 
on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. So God provided a sacrifice, didn't he? Just as Abraham said he would. So was Isaac the redeemer that would crush this, this Satan, Satan, the serpent's head? No, let's look at verse 15. And the angel of the Lord called Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, Isaac, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So is, is, is Isaac the, the promised one, the one that will redeem mankind? No, he's not. But this redeemer was looked for in the coming generations as we'll look and see next week. And so what's the application for this text today as we just take a, an overview of this very important part of Scripture, the effects of sin? Application, I think, as I mentioned before, let's think about the effects of sin in the, this Genesis account. It, they, were, they were great, especially in regard to relationships. I just want to ask us this for a second, Jerry, how is our relationships going? You know, for us as believers on the other side of the cross, we've been redeemed, filled with the Holy Spirit, given, sealed with the Holy Spirit, guaranteeing our inheritance. But how are things going in, in our relationships with our wives and with our husbands and with our siblings, believer, with your coworker, with your boss, with your neighbor, with your son, with your daughter, with your stepfather, with your Grandmother, it's Christmas. We're fixing to get together with family, right? Now, how are those relationships going? Having work parties and all of that jazz. Yeah, how's your relationships going? Any Cain-like characteristics going on in your heart? Jealousy, bitterness, unforgiveness. Lack of love, any of that festering? If so, what do we need to do? Believer, we need to repent and ask God to give us his heart for brother and sister and neighbor and co-worker, right? Second thing that we learn from this text is that God judges sinners. We saw it with the Noah account. We saw it at Babel. No sin goes unpunished. You know that, don't you? No sin, no errant thought, no misplaced value, no nothing, no sin goes unpunished. It'll be dealt with. So I want to ask you, will he judge you? Has your sin been dealt with? Your sin has to be dealt with. Has it been dealt with? Middle school student, high school student, adult. God's going to judge sin. Has your sin been dealt with? The, the bad news is that we all sin. We all rebel, just like Cain. We have those tendencies, don't we? Those at Babel, we have those tendencies, don't we? We love us far too much. Oh, you know, we just don't love ourselves today. No, 
Shane loves Shane too much. You love yourself too much too. We're all sinful. We all rebel. We're all separated from the Lord. Just like Adam was cast out of the garden, we're born that way, cast away from the Lord because of our sin. And he will judge sin. When Jesus returns, you read the parable, the, the, the sheep and the goats, those who have yet to trust him as Lord and Savior, those who are separated from the Lord, you'll be separated for all eternity in hell. That's the bad news. And that's what you deserve. That's what I deserve. That's what we all deserve. But the good news is that Jesus, 2,000 years ago, Christmas, right? Jesus became a, a baby and a man, and he obeyed for us. He obeyed the law perfectly. He didn't have Cain's heart those characteristics at all. Babel, that whole attitude, that wasn't Jesus' attitude. He fulfilled the law completely for you and for me. And Jesus gave up his life, not because he should die, but because he was willing to die. And he paid sinners' debt. It was the wrath of God, the Father, was poured out upon him in our place. He, was, he died, he was buried, he suffered that, he was buried, and on the third day, he rose from the grave for our justification. And the Bible says the good news is that if we confess our sin, and we'll acknowledge that sin, and we'll turn from it, and we'll trust Jesus' work on the cross as our own. In other words, what that means is you were saying, Jesus, I know you died for me, specifically for me. You, you paid my sin debt. You, were, you, were, you suffered my suffering. Not because I deserve it, but because you're loving and you're good. You did that for me. The Bible says if we, we have that attitude and we repent and believe Christ's work on the cross as our own, then we'll be justified. We'll be reconciled to the Father. We can have a relationship with God again. We can know him. We can love him and serve him. That's the good news. That's the gospel. So by way of application, have you has your sin been dealt with? Have you been redeemed and third as we we said last week we said this week and every week for the next three weeks well where's jesus in all this we say well the the bible is this story of redemption and we 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 condense it down to creation fall redemption and then we say well it's really all about jesus where where's jesus in this story or what does this story teach us about jesus well i think one thing is we just think about Noah and the ark and Floods came, right? The earth, and I wish we could talk. We had time to talk all about what happened and how the earth is different now than it before the flood. But the water comes from within the deep, and the rain came, and it, it was this flood. And Noah had to be on the ark. There was only one means of salvation for. Noah and his boys and their wives. It was that ark, and this ark is, is like Christ, isn't it? In, in the New Testament, Acts chapter 4, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we, we must be saved. We must be saved. There's only one name we can be saved under, by, through, and it's Jesus. Yeah. 
kind of points towards a type, the ark is a type of Christ. It points towards points us to Jesus. And then we have the story of Abraham, this true story of this covenant God made with Abraham. Through Abraham, all the nations we bless, through Abraham's descendant, it's not Isaac, it's it's on down the line, right? Now, if we had time to look at Matthew chapter 1, we're, we're going to be out of time. But Jesus, Abraham's descendant. And think about all those nations scattered at Babel. Because of Jesus, all of those nations will be represented at the Lord's feet, doing what mankind was created to do, and that's worship. Revelation chapter 7, verse 9 and 10 John, the revelator, he had this vision. After I looked, after this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all the tribes, all the tribes, yet from Babel, right? And all the peoples and the languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Jesus, that Lamb, that descendant of Abraham who... Because of him, all these nations that were scattered will be blessed. Yeah, we see that as well. And then Jehovah Jireh, right? Abraham took Isaac upon that mountain and told Isaac, God's going to provide. And he did. He provided Christ 2,000 years ago who came at the perfect time. He took on flesh and he was born in a manger in Bethlehem in Israel. And that's what this season's all about. So let's worship them. Thank you for tuning in today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast if this message has been helpful to you. Again, if you have any questions, go to our website for our contact information, and we'll see you next time.